Well, hello and welcome to episode 161 of The Call Room. I'm one of your co-hosts, David Griffiths, and we've got an excellent podcast coming up today with Richard Adamson. He's one of the co-founders of Young Henry's Brewery from Sydney. Uh, A really fun conversation with him all about how the brewery got its start, uh, how the Sydney brewing scene has changed over the last 10 years or so. Some really interesting insights from someone who has been at the heart of one of Sydney's iconic breweries. Um, we really hope that you'll be able to enjoy this episode. We have sold out of our tasting packs for this one, uh, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't go over and check out our Shopify page. Uh, we've got some great deals on over there. We've just sold out of the latest deeds release. Uh, we were selling these for $20 a can. Some of the places elsewhere on the web were selling for up to $30 a can. So by grabbing yourself a really cheap bargain, you'll be able to uh, support the podcast and make sure that we can keep the doors open. Uh, we have all sorts of other fun things in that store, including the beers that you'll need for our next online podcast. Uh, and that's going to be with Moffat Beach. Uh, so jump onto the Shopify Grab the pack for that and uh, you'll be able to join us live in the Zoom room, just like people did a week or so ago when we sat down with Richard. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get into that conversation. My good friend, Mr. Warren Wu, is standing by in the room to kick off that conversation with young Henrys. It's really great to have uh, Richard Adamson, from the head brewer from Young Henrys, which, yeah, uh, welcome aboard. Thank you. You're no longer the head brewer. It's, it's, I passed that baton on many, uh, many years ago. So, oh. um, well, you, you didn't. You didn't tell the people who contacted us today because <laughs> they. <laughs> well, no one. No one really knows what I do. So that's the way I like it. That's perfect, mate. That's absolutely perfect. That way, no one can can see whether I'm doing a good job anymore. I just sort of. Are you like, just sort of beard at large at the brewery yeah, or something yes like i think i gave i actually gave oscar McMahon the title of gentleman at large when we first started and i think he's he's still got on his business card but um <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of the way i try to try and swing it that's quite fantastic I, I i i sort of both want to ask what your real job title is and also i don't mm. want to box you in i like the idea that yeah. you managed yeah, to yeah. sort of but, no, I, but the less said the better i think I've always wanted... Well, that was a good podcast. So anyway, then, sir. <laughs> we can talk about uh, other things that just don't, not, not what I do. Yeah. Like, so he's like the wolf. He's like Richard Young Henry's... Yeah, he's, he's the wolf. That's a that's a reference that some people will get from a certain generation. Not, not everyone's seen that movie now, mate. Yeah, I know. But everyone should because it's a piece of classical cinema and everyone should should watch that. Oh well, um, let's get on to the young. Yeah, let's get on to the yeah the important things. First of all, Richard. Normally, normally we have a couple of guests, and they'll they'll introduce each other, which works really well because they get um you know they can get quite adventurous with with you know job titles and things. Uh, Richard, what do you what do you? Oh, we've kind of gone over what do you do, but what's your favourite non Young Henry's beer? What do you like to drink? when you're when you're in the mood for a cold one oh, wow that's a really difficult question because it's it's really mood driven and mm-hmm. uh, it's, i generally answer that by saying it's the beer in my hand um, oh, yeah. is my favorite beer at the moment so can, uh, can i ask it a different way can i ask maybe do you, do you remember what the first craft beer you had was but the first beer that you'd sort of say um, i think yeah. that one of the more inspiring ones was probably 
Um, it was Sierra Nevada Paola was up there, and I'd say James Squire, Amber Ale, just um, hmm. was the first different thing you had on tap around Sydney um, for a long time. Um, we're doing a little bit of work with um, UTS and there's some German engineers um, involved, and they brought back some Iinga um, fresh for me, which was fantastic. And I must I must confess, I'm being a bit of a a bit of a lager pilsner kick at the moment, but um, I was out last night and I had a fantastic um, plum for Linovice by um, One Drop um, that was absolutely brilliant. So you know, whatever's going, really, um, as long as it's well made and tasty, I'm I'm up for it. Excellent. The ripper of an answer. Go back and check our archives from about four episodes ago if you're listening into the podcast for the first time because you're a young Henry's fan and you may not have discovered the podcast before because we did a live show with One Drop out at Hopheads in Yarraville and hmm. um, all sorts of weird and wonderful fruit-related discussions in that one. They are the, they are the Willy Wonka of the beer world at the moment. Yeah, that's a good way to describe them. Yeah. That's a really good way to describe them. They're very, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go back and touch on something. Uh, go try to engineer a segue here. Um, so Pilsners and Lagers are your thing at the moment. And luckily enough, our first beer is the Young Henry's uh, Natural Lager. Would you like to give us a bit of a tasting of this of this delicious, smashable product? Yeah, look, that is, it, it is one of my all-time favourites. It's been, um, it was actually the first beer we ever brewed. And um, the malt background, the malt sort of part of the recipe has not changed from the beginning at all. Wow. Um, so it's, it's part Byman um, Pilsner malt and part Australian pale malt um, with a touch of wheat in there and a touch of um, Cara Munich, just, just a, a little bit to give it a bit more body. Um, we use um, what's now known as Charlie's Fist Bump Yeast, and I hate that name. But um, What's it called? Sorry. Charlie's Fist Bump Yeast. It's Charlie Pavison's um, proprietary strain of yeast, which um, had a, had the, the most awesome name of Cry Havoc, Cry Havoc, but he changed oh. it. Um, so I still call it Cry Havoc in the brewery. Um, that's kind of our house lager strain of yeast. Um, it's, it, 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 technically, it's a hybrid, though. It can kind of work on both ends of the spectrum, but works really nicely um, with cold fermentation. Um, the hops have changed over the journey. So originally it was a, a trio of, hop, of Australian hops, Summer Helga and Silver, and Hop Products Australia, um, mainly because of agronomic performance, um, killed them all um, in succession. So um, none of the original hops are in there because you can't get them anymore. Uh, so it's uh, it's Topaz and Ella uh, now. So look, it's, it's also our most awarded beer. It's... Um, as a uh, Keller beer, I guess, so uh, hmm. unfiltered lager. Um, it's it's meant to be, you know, the same out of the bright tank as it is in the keg and the, the can, essentially. So we run it through the centrifuge quite quickly to, to leave that haze in there. Um, it will fall out over time. It is a colloidal haze. Um, and, yeah, it should be really about something that is drunk fresh and, Super crushable. If it wasn't for the 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 guy, the issues with your hops, 
would you still be creating the same thing? Is it when you first came up with this that you you just went, yep, hit that one out of the park. Let's just keep on going with this. Pretty much. I think we filtered it the first time we made it. And then Mm. we're like, no, no, we need to, it's better with the yeast in it. So I think that was, that's kind of the only change it's had over its journey, really. Um, The the ones that were forced upon us with, with the hops. Um, But other than that, like, and in fact, changing the hops didn't change profile of the beer as much as we thought it would it was there was only a slightly noticeable difference uh but yeah back back 10 years ago when we when we made this beer there wasn't too many right breweries making lager mm. and mm. uh i remember the guys when i was like you know oscar and they were like why are we making a lager like this craft beer and i was like well i, I think I think it is. <laughs> I think, um, and I think this sort of beer uh, should be, yeah, should be part of our, you know, our core range. And it's it's stuck there. It's, it's probably our, our second most popular beer um, behind the Newtowner. And I think it's just it just feels like in the last last year is gaining a bit more um, a bit more traction as well. So I think people are returning to lager, and happy to say they drink lagers as well. And so I really want to, just because, you know, Oscar's chosen not to be on the podcast tonight, feel free to take the glory on this one. Were you the person in Australia who 10 years out saw the lager trend coming? Because, you know. I wish I, wish I had that sort of foresight. I can't, I can't say I did. But I just, I think, um, you know, going going back to my beer journey, I thought, you know, like it was about diversity of beer really was what attracted me to to brewing was that the fact that you could enjoy a whole bunch of different styles and it shouldn't be about locking into one particular style of beer. Um, so lagers, what one, like that's, it's like cutting off half of the types of beers you can make by, by saying you don't drink lagers or don't make lagers. Um, so that was why I thought we should do it. I, th- and I thought we had an interesting spin on it by using Australian hops and by um, doing a Keller beer. It wasn't just, boring standard old lager either um tell us about tell us about where the brewery's from we've got a few internet we got a, sweden, according, according to our run sheet someone from sweden no like sweden genuinely the the sweden's sitting third it's australia the us sweden has now overtaken germany the uk our friends in norway our friends in mexico sweden is now clearly in third place in our international well you know countries that's great Uh, (laughs) we can't send beer to them unless they want to email us so coolroompodcast at gmail.com if they want to have a crack (laughs) Uh, rigid yeah tell if a swedish if one of our Swedish listeners wanted to come and visit you, what would they have to do and what would they see? Great. So, yeah, the brewery started in, in Newtown. Newtown's um, in the inner west of Sydney, so not far out of the CBD. Um, it's a, I guess what Americans would call a college town. It's right there in the university. City University is just on the doorstep. Um, it's kind of the home of independent music um really big on the music arts and culture scene it has been a little bit gentrified over the 10 years that we've been there and um certainly the the quality of the restaurants has been elevated um as as has i guess the the quality of the offering in the pubs a lot of them were pretty dark and dingy when i used to go and see punk bands when i was barely 18 or at least my card my, 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 my <laughs> 
my friend's card said it was eight. I was eighteen. Um, <laughs> the and and yeah, getting a craft beer in Newtown was pretty difficult too. But that's all changed, and it's really the inner west is really a, a great craft beer scene now. Um, home of a lot of different um, independent breweries, which is fantastic. How much is cause and how much is effect? And I'm not being, I'm not asking you to blow yourself up too much, but, you know, you, Young Henry's has been there, you know, for much of that journey. You know, do you think you've helped change the, the scene that is Newtown? I'd like to think so. That's probably for others to comment more. Um, but certainly I think that a lot of, you know, we were the kind of first in the area and then a lot followed. Now, whether they would have done that anyway, Probably, I'd say probably, but um, it always helps for someone to come and go through the pain first, for the first time, and battle through the council and and the and the like. And I guess we'll, we'll get to our local government discussion. We love a local government discussion. Yeah, here. well, look, you know, they've they've come a long way in in understanding what benefits breweries have to a, an area as well. So um, you know, to the credit, they're um, they're a lot more welcoming to the idea of having breweries and distilleries in there. Um, industrial area it brings a lot of character to the area and it, it you know everyone that predicted that it would be a disaster from you know drunk people in the street has turned out that it's it's not the case at all um and in fact it probably you know raised the profile of the area uh so that's you know i think that's been a great thing we've we've managed to through advocacy of the the guys you know the breweries in the in the area too, we've managed to get a few laws changed as well. So we've actually got a, a liquor license that pertains to craft breweries and we got some planning regs changed for the state as well. So hopefully we have, as a group in the inner west, made it easier for the craft breweries to open. So you're jumping ahead, but that's that's good because I, I want to co- I want to come back to that thought as we go along. But um, it's it's a fascinating story, and we speak to so many craft breweries and venues that that strike exactly the kind of problems that you did. But let's let's not jump ahead too far because I, I want to get a little bit more of that sort of visual picture of uh, of Newtown because it's a, as well as sort of having that industrial and uni student sort of background, it's a really pretty subject, a suburb to, to walk around and interesting things to see around every corner, I reckon. I guess, I guess the great part is it's mainly low rise too, right? So it's, you know, so the characters of the, buildings have been maintained that's it, it's really that um you know 100 year old sort of buildings in a lot of cases or turn you know at least turn the century sort of as well so um really carried a lot of um a lot of, lot of street art around the, the back streets as well so you can have a wander around and see a lot of visual art um i just run into one of my all-time favorite artists um is back in back in Australia. He was living over in I think it was over in Spain. Uh, Will Coles, who um, is a like a climate like gorilla um, sculptor. So he's got a lot of like concrete things that he's stuck on. You know, in a, not only in our tasting, but all, all all around the street. Um, that it has good social commentary as well. So if you um, oh, cool. yeah, look him up, what looks like a mobile phone stuck onto the gutter. That's that's him. So. Is so, and it's like so. When you say gorilla, it's like street art sculpture. Street street art sculpture. He had it like yeah, he had yeah. A TV there, and he's got like drooping guns and a whole bunch of different just just interesting commentary that he's excellent. 
put around. And he, yeah, he's, he's, he's blessed some stuff in our tasting bar. Obviously didn't tell us. It's just, we, you know, he'd been there and then somehow stuck it up on the wall. There's no way we can get it off either. It's just stuck on pretty well. Um, so yeah, come and check those, those, those little pieces of culture and history there too. That's awesome. That's amazing. Um, <clears throat> I thought while we're talking about Newtown and the culture of Newtown, uh, should we move on to the Newtowner? Uh, am I being a little bit too quick there, David? Well, I guess the only question, I'd, and I think it was sort of just put into the chat here, so people can prepare themselves for that. Oh, yeah. You've, you've put natural lager on the can. Yes. I guess I'm just interested in knowing why you thought that adding that word. Uh, this was before this was before hazy was a thing. So and I didn't. I thought unfiltered sounded not particularly good either. So mm -hmm. um, natural is in that we, you know, it's it's sort of um, unprocessed really. Um, that was you know a much better connotation than unfiltered. Do, do most average punters ask you that question? I guess is an interesting thing and. I've got one more question on the lager before we move on. I think there may be some, you know, oh, okay, natural is good for you. Maybe that kind of connotation. Um, and I oh, one's got no preservatives. And, like, you know, I kind of follow that up with, well, most beers don't have preservatives in it other than alcohol and hops. So, um, yeah, there's not there's not much else added, you know, to, to most beers. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just, it's beer that is um yeah un, you know unfiltered un, unadulterated i think um hazy right now would be pretty confusing yeah given the, the hazy trends so that was it was good that we didn't call it a hazy lager to start with uh yeah and i guess my other question would be when you designed this beer did you have an audience in mind for it or were you just brilliant because it was a style that you liked yourselves and i kind of did i thought it would be it would it's probably a little bit more refined and the bitterness isn't as sharp as a as a Cooper's pale ale, but, but visually it looks very similar. So I thought I thought there was already an acceptance of that that the look of the beer at the very least. And then hopefully there was a bit more nuance going on behind it. You know, there's there's that sort of bready character from the yeast. There's a little bit of isomycetate there as well, which I like that sort of banana ester. Um but as I said, it's like, you know, it's the most awarded beer we had. So it's won um, three gold medals at the um, Australian Independent Beer Awards. It's won about the same at the Indies as well. Um, I'd love to get on the podium over at the World Beer Cup. We've got, we've gone to the second round a couple of times, but um, yeah, um, he's hoping. That's, I think that's amazing for a beer that's obviously, you know, you make a lot of. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a credit to you that you're producing something of that quality, you know, you know, in a mass sort of, well, it, it fits by nicely. craft beer standards. It does fit nicely into the Keller beer category as well. Like, so if you think of it as a Munich Hells, you know, a Keller beer expression of Munich Hells, um, it, it ticks the boxes on the scoring sheet as well if you follow the style guide. So... Yeah, whereas a lot of the stuff we do just just, just does not. So. Well, on that note, Warren, do you want to do what you wanted to do five minutes ago and lead us into the Newtowner? Because that sounds like a good way of starting to transition that story into a beer that I guess kind of doesn't fit into a category, at least one of those world categories quite as easily as others. Yeah, it doesn't, does it? Because it doesn't have the 
it doesn't have like the real bitterness you'd expect from American style parallel. It's yeah, I suppose Australia, Australian parallel is not a bad name for this one. Um, <clears throat> it, when you put the name of your suburb on a beer, what do people think of? What do the people who live in the suburb suddenly think about this? I don't know if. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's it maybe was, nothing. Maybe they don't care. Maybe it was an interesting. It was an interesting one. So we, the, the genesis of the beer was that in the first year of, of us opening, it was Newtown's 150th anniversary. Um, so, city city of Sydney Council and Newtown's in a very interesting spot in that it, a council perspective, it goes. We've got we bought a city of Sydney Council and now the Inner West Council straight down the middle. So we've got to, you know, um, so we've got to deal with both councils all the time, which is quite fun. Uh, however, they, they, were, they were putting on some celebrations on for the sesquicentenary. Uh, and there was suggested to us, it wasn't commissioned, it was suggested that maybe doing a beer for the, um, for the um, celebrations would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, to which I thought, yeah, that'd be great. And then the, the idea of Newtowner as a name was pretty cheeky and then I thought, well, you know, Pilsner beers from Pilsen, what if we could have Newtown a beer from Newtown? Um, you know, and maybe it could become a style, but I was like, there was probably a lot of overreach there anyway. Um, we and- like that. We like the ambition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, young Andrews has never been short of ambition. I think that's, <laughs> that's true. Uh, and stylistically, I was going for something that I thought was going to be a bit more flavorful than Resch's, essentially, but kind of similar malt profile, but a bit mm. more character. And that was the that was what we're aiming for. And then something that was going to be drunk in Newtown pubs by the jugful, which is the way that you know beer is consumed in in Newtown. And Newtown is a big beer drinking area. Like you know, the, the pubs in those in in that suburb go through a lot of beer um you know when you when you talk to other pubs they're just they're amazed i think you know like the courthouse hotel where we launched the new towner uh it was launched on a wednesday and we've actually it's actually it's 10th anniversary um this weekend um it'll be oh. 10 since we launched it at the courthouse hotel uh, i came in on the launch day and i said look you know how you know, met the owner and how's it going and We'd sold 17 kegs in the first two days. <laughs> and I think we sold 40 in the week. Um, and at that stage, we were producing about 100 kegs a week at the at the brewery. That was like, we're capping at 100 kegs. So um, we, yeah, after I recovered from my little panic about how we're going to make this work, we said, we said to ourselves, it can only be sold at the courthouse. Only we can't go any further, and then when we got some more tanks, it was it can only be sold in Newtown. And I think the Newtown pubs are pretty proud of it at that point that they had something that was that, that was their own. And then as we mm. grew up again, we kind of said to those you know the, those publicans, "What would you think if we let it outside of Newtown and into the into Sydney at large?" And they said, "Look, it's you know that's they're very proud to have you know the Newtown sort of don't be so go for it." So it went to Sydney, it went to New South Wales, and then it finally got around the rest of the country after that so um, that that strategy actually was probably in hindsight pretty clever because it, 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 it drove mm. demand but 
that was nothing to do with a, 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 a smart way of releasing a beer. It was all to do with being able to keep up with demand, and we couldn't if we if we let it out any further. Was it what was the beer when you first made it in terms of the recipe? You know, uh... yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't as heavily as heavily dry hopped as it is now, and it, and it was probably more um, a, a bit more kettle hop driven. So we've kind of shifted that a little bit as it's gone on. Um, but the hops, the actual hops we use haven't changed. It's always been Galaxy, um, Big Secret, and Australian Cascade. Um, it, over the over the journey, it we've had to adjust the hops as we go because I don't know if you if you remember, probably about five years ago, eighty percent of the Big Secret crop got wiped out by a hailstorm. So we no, had I don't to, think I actually did realize that to be perfectly honest. Yeah, so we had to adjust the the proportions of the hops because we got very little big secret that year. And it probably took us about three or four years to get back to the original recipe just because of the the way that our hop contracts work and the forward ordering that we do. We just had to and the amount of hops that we had on on hand, we had to really juggle it to get it back there and get the get the big secret back into where we thought the balance should be. Um, we were, there was talk of Australian Cascade planting being significantly reduced. Um, we have tried brewing the beer without it, without the Cascade, and it plays a very interesting role in the beer. It's actually a little bit of that sort of dankness, um, that's there. Um, when we took it out, it was like the beer without it was, was a nice beer, but it wasn't the same beer. So, um, Cascade can thank Australian can Cascade can thank us because there's a few more paddocks of that growing because of because of Newtown. I always find that question fascinating. I, I love to hear sort of what each beer, what each hop brings to the beer, and recognise the fact that you can't always pull out each individual bit. But you know, like any good band, sometimes you just don't realise what the bass is doing or the rhythm yeah. section is doing until it's, it's not there anymore. Interaction between the hops for sure, um, and the same way that big secret in there. I think if you had a beer with it, with, that had was probably more, maybe had high concentration of hops. You know, I think that's that's about a four, four gram a litre dry hop. But if you had, you know, gone up towards eight grams a litre with Big Secret, it probably has a very different expression. It's got, but in you know, within sitting in there with the Cascade and and Galaxy, it has a little bit of that ribes expression. I think that everyone talks about with Big Secret, that kind of like little bit of thial there, but it's probably not recognisable um, as it would if it was on there on, there on its own. Uh, but, uh, Mark, one of our regulars asked the question in the chat, and one of the great things about joining us live on a Thursday night is you get to type your questions in. And um, I'm not exactly, I'll ask you exactly how he's written it, and you can interpret it as you wish. Did your punters realise that the recipe had changed? Were you up? Did you sort of say think, something uh, about that along the way? or? I think I, there was, we, we did have some really hardcore dedicated drinkers that noticed the difference when the Big Secret wasn't available. Mm. It wasn't as like, it wasn't like there was a public outcry, but there mm. certainly was people that noticed it. And you know, a, along the journey, we were only really sort of bumped up, like shifted it from um, the Whirlpool to the dry, to the dry hop incrementally so it hasn't really no one's really noticed as much but it's probably kept it 
um, in, in a more modern sort of flavor than if we didn't change it. So mm -hmm. it's probably just slowly move with the times, I guess. And yeah, it wasn't going to be served outside the postcode, but that's because um, Crofty, because that's what we're controlling. We're trying to control how much, how many kegs we can make. Otherwise, if we just eat the brewery, we just would have been just, just making Newtowner alone and not keeping everyone happy at um, the same time. So, um, yeah. But Look, Warren's about to ask a question. I think I'll, I'll let him go. Let him go through with it. No, I wasn't. I wasn't really. I was just the part of the question that Crofty put in, and Crofty's question got kind of revolves around uh, letting New Tanner outside of the sub the suburb. Was it? Yeah, was it internal pressure? Like just thinking, oh, this is something that we could we could sell right throughout Sydney, or or external, that kind of pull where people are going, oh, we'd love to sell the new towner in I, I, my knowledge of Sydney's terrible. So Bondi, my, we want to sell the new towner in Bondi. It, look, it was, it was an interesting story because when we, you know, when Dan um, Hampton, our sales director, came on board, um, his first six months was pretty much working in the tasting bar because we just told him he couldn't sell anymore beer his job was to say no or, or in fact yeah, yes but yes we'd love to give it to you but i'm sorry not yet so he you know he had a list of all these people um wanting to be young henry's customers which was fantastic and they were they were asking Newtowner. and in his opinion and I, I think his opinion is right was that at that time Newtowner was the, the the best beer we're producing and probably the most having the most broad appeal mm. um i was Wondering if that was going, the new town was going to be as a name going to be a turnoff um, to people out, you know, this state rivalry or mm. something. Rivalry. Yeah. I think everyone sort of understands like, or, or connects with the town as maybe a spiritual type connection, you know, mm -hmm. even if they aren't into music, arts, and culture, and maybe they've got a straight job as a, in a suit, maybe they'd love to have that little wild side. Or they remember just going out and having fun in Newtown, you know, as well. So, either it's connecting with the culture or, or, or just the good times. That's part of it. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's drug across the country, which is fantastic. It's, there's, you've, I don't know if you've done it consciously. I suppose that's where my question's coming from. They kind of act as, our first two beers kind of act as a, as a kind of a double act or a, a foil against each other. So you've got a cloudy lager and a rather clear... Yeah. yeah. Do they? It was that. It was yeah. Is that? Was, did you do that on purpose? Was was that kind of a thought that you put out there into them? Like we've got one which is the natural hazy lager, which will incredibly smashable, delicious, but malt driven, and then Newtowner more hop driven, clear little yeah. touch of goodness. Yeah. 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 Look, you know, we were we were doing some filtering when we first started. When we when we upgraded the brewery, we, we bought a centrifuge and. You know that the ability of that piece of equipment, which is now commonplace in most most craft breweries now, mm. I think, um, to get your beer rel relatively bright, not you know not button bright like you know like a you know a Tui's new or a Carlton Draft, but um, but you know pretty bright to the eye without losing stripping out that hop character mm. is been a great thing for craft breweries so you know getting the, the ability to get that beer pretty bright and not lose too much of that hop character was, was pretty important i think 
Um, and visually, it's just nice to have different a different look, I think. And you know, we're we're in the middle of the haze craze, but I know that you know people. You know, I think hazy beer now means something else other than just the visual identity of a hazy beer. There's an ex there's a flavour expectation now as well. Absolutely right. We we might come to that in a few moments' time when we get onto the hazy pale ale. But you've spoken there a few times about sort of the upgrades to the brewery and so forth. But I, I want to take you right back to the beginning. First of all, before Young Henry's, you know, where was your first involvement in brewing and beer? Let's start with that. In the then, world. So I was I was a home brewer from, you know, probably before I could do it legally. Um, <laughs> with my now brother-in-law, um, Scotty Morgan, who's his journey has taken him through Rocks Brewing to now Curly Lewis down in Bondi. Um, so we, you know, we fast went from the kind of kit and kilo idea through to, you know, all malt extract to all grain extract, you know, and then taking over the entire underneath my house with, with um, long neck bottles and, you know, quickly, quickly turned to a, 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 yeah, an obsession for, for both of us. Um, you know, I, I was playing in a rock band at the time, so I wasn't really focused on a career. I ended up working in IT for over, over almost 10 years, I guess. Um, I'd just like to say, Warren, I think we've now hit the 100th guest for the year who used to work into, in IT before they went into brewing. It's, it's, it's a nerdy pursuit, and, and either, either that or metalheads, right? So there's a lot of, mm. yeah, yeah, it seems to all go hand in hand. Uh, yeah, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really cut out for IT, but it was something I could do coming out of uni and make a quid. Um, and studied at um, Ballarat University Federation. Um, Scotty said, why don't you go and do that? And I thought, well, the worst thing that happened is my homebrew will get better. That would be, you know, I spent a lot of money in doing that. And that was fine. It was fun to get back in that. Um, I got involved with Barons Brewing um, from the outset. Um, so I don't know how old. The panel looks reasonably old enough to kind of remember Waddle Seed. Well, tell the story a bit because I reckon most people in the Zoom room will know it, but we have lots of new people to home brewing and new people to craft beer in Australia. Now, give us give us your couple of minute version of Barons. The Barons um, was started off as we we just we were contract brewer only, but we um, we had a range of beers like a classic lager, ESB and a pale with mainly New Zealand hops. And we had, but the more interesting, I guess, side was the um, the native Australian ingredients, which was the, um, the wattle seed ale, so using roasted wattle seed and a lemon myrtle with beer. Um, I guess using native Australian ingredients is a lot more commonplace than, it, you know, when, when we did it. It was kind of a bit of a novelty at that point. Um, but I also, also wanted to make sure that we weren't doing native Australian ingredients as a novelty. It actually like fitted into adding to that beer style. So, you know, like the the what I'll see that I think was I'm still it's still a beer I'm really proud of. It was a, it was you know that expression of that um, wild character with the roasted what I'll see was lovely. And then tell us how things moved forward from there as you've you know. What? Well, yeah, I, I guess I, I had a different vision than the other um, directors of where Barron should go and um, and, and and left. Um, and uh, I'd met Oscar 
the other um, co-founder at my local pub and the one who's chosen not to be on tonight just so we can tell stories about him <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure if I'm not sure if chosen is the right word i think he's, he's he had a clutch of clutch of calendars um he's also G- got- G- you you and him are tight normally people take the opportunity in this sort of <laughs> instance just to tell was, a few stories safe just, in the knowledge that he's not going to listen in throw some, throw some shade yeah. Uh, so yeah, we, we started doing a, a, a beer club essentially, um, and it's interesting. I just think of a lot of the the the, pe- the people that were at that beer club at the Roxbury Hotel went on to work within the industry, which is which is great to see. Um, but that was really the genesis of it. And then I was I, don't know, I was saying if I really want to open a brewery where we're really in touch with the with the punters and. Oscar was on board with it, and um, it went from there. And do you was there a particular point in it? Like you know, a number of us, Warren and I, as well, have sort of been involved in hospo things, and you tend to sit around and have a few beers and talk about doing it, and then one day you realise the night before you actually committed to doing it. Was there was there this a moment where you went, "Oh, hang on, this is real. I now need to go and explain to the family what I've." decided to do oh, it. I was I was always going to do it. Um, you know, Oscar and I really bonded over music. So with his, you know, he was a, a lead singer in a band called the Hell City Glamours and he'd just come back from a US tour that, you know, they played South by Southwest and it was it was pretty huge, but he kind of had to sort of crash back to earth, back to his hospital job. And he was like, like, fuck, I'm never going to make any money out of this. And I'd, you know, <laughs> I'd been there and not made any money out of being a um, musician as well. So I was like, yeah, man, it's tough, and you know, it's a it's a big gap between the guys that are you know making a living out of this and the people that aren't. Uh, but heaps of people are making a living out of hospitality. Let's go and give that a go. Was that the? <laughs> well, like you know, I, I I thought you know having a hospitality angle to what we're doing was going to be important, and it was important we had guys that could you know that had experience in that. But that's not really what you know Oscar ended up doing at all. He got you know he started working on the on the brew floor with me he's you know he's been there from the start he's made a lot of the the beers um himself um got the rest of these himself and then really is the is the um touch point the sort of you know keeper of the flame for what the the spirit of the brand is um so we always wanted to be in touch with the local community we always wanted to bring in that influence of you know of rock and roll and um and independent music, um, which was what was important to us. And if we could bring that cultural element where we could, you know, bring beer to music, music to beer, culture to beer, um, that's what we're going to do. And I think those early collaborations that we did with, you know, radio stations and chefs and, um, and bands, when everyone else was collaborating with other breweries, kind of set it up that anyone you know anything that you were interested in could you could tie into you what you were doing in a collaboration we've got a few collaboration that's why i've i've loved the collaboration stories we're going to get to those um fear not uh listeners because i think a lot of people who saw our promotions during the week that we're going to be talking to you had a questions about the both the distillery and the collaborations we're going to get to that but before we get to that part of it i think Mr. Wu, you had the traditional cool room question you were going to ask. Then we are, we might have a little break just so we can freshen our glasses and make sure that we have the hazy pail 
ready to go for the, the last bit of the conversation. Um, yeah, and the traditional cool room question ties into that kind of rock and roll, what bands get up to um, between sets, before sets, after sets. Um, I'm make sure. I hope your enunciation comes through really clearly. Yes, so what is the... So this the, is not the semi-Hagar before set tent, just to be clear. <laughs> Niche Van Halen joke there. Yeah, nice. Um, Richard, what's the strangest, uh, most confronting, bizarre, amusing thing you've seen in a cool room? And, of course... We don't limit it to just kind of cool rooms, just any kind of hospitality, beer, and band venue, I suppose. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, you know, we actually do a series of bands in the cool room. You may have seen that. We we bring them in to interview them, and they we had a we had a whole bunch of questions about you know their their best moment, worst moment, and get them to you know sing along to one of their own songs whilst in the cool room. Um, but now, hang on a moment. This sounds like one of us is infringing on each other's IP here. I'm not just yeah, aware that. We weren't aware of this at all, to be honest. No. In case our lawyers are listening in. Uh, yeah, anyway, so that, that, look, that's, that's pretty commonplace now, so that's not that confronting or, or strange. But um, I do remember walking in the cool room in the early days and finding two goats. Um, <laughs> uh, not, not alive. Mind you, oh. two goat carcasses. Uh, so uh, it was back back in probably the second probably the second year of operation. We did a collaboration with Mountain Goat um, with Dave Benight and Dave being a mate of mine for um, a long time, super supportive of us as we were starting out. Um, and we used to feed our spent grain to a goat farmer. And when we're doing this. This beer, which we called the kid, we thought Young Henry's and Mountain Goat, the kid kind of works. It was a, it was a, a super English mild, we called it. So actually, like you know, it was English mild, but we just doubled the ingredients and try help the hell out of it. Uh, we were going to do a, a dinner around the corner at Lardwood uh, Restaurant again. Big support was us from the from the start. So we got we got our farmer to bring in two goat carcasses for us for the. Bloodwood to use at the um, for the the dinner. Um, so once we got over that shock, I then got a call from the Bloodwoods, and they said, you know, they had to come back, you know, come and get them. And they said, look, we don't really have the space to butcher them. Can we just do it here? Uh, so I, it was before the tasting bar opened. We made sure the doors were locked, but they. They broke down two goat carcasses in the tasting bar um, before service. Uh, um, so, yeah, I don't think that will ever happen again, but um, there you go. <laughs> I think it's a hard story to beat, that one. No, that's yeah. that's really impressive because, I mean, Mr Wu, when he was how many years old, Mr Wu? I don't know. I reckon I was like eight maybe. Yeah, I reckon eight years old. When you when you walked into your parents' cool room and found a shark carcass, which yeah. I imagine to an eight year old wow. would have been, conf- but breaking it's it's the breaking down of the uh, the goat. Yeah, that I've been- yeah, yeah. If you got a yeah, just two goats too. <laughs> yeah, and are there times when when the last person in the bar staff is sort of locking up late at night 
and they hear a little quiet bar from the ghost boat. <laughs> or is that not something you tell the, the new staff about for a while? No, I, look, there's, if there's any staff that's into it, they're probably going to be shocked. Like, there was, what? You did what? That's, that's <laughs> There has been, like, there's been tattoos done in the bar. There's been, you know, all manner of other craziness. Um, I have a fond memory of Tim Rogers from UMI dancing and singing at the top of his voice with his backup backup singers to the Nutbush City Limits. Um, that was, that's a, that's pretty high up on my memories. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. yeah. I don't think my, our neighbours really appreciated it at the time, but um, that was a, that's a piece of, piece of history that I like to get. Can, can uh, I ask, can I, we will wrap up in a second in terms of having a little break before the hazy, but, You've talk, spoken about your desire to be close to the people and so forth. Was the brew pub always going to be part of of the idea? Was the idea always that there'd be a place where punters could come and you could get feedback about the beers along the way? It, it was going to be a brew pub. It was never going to be a wholesale brewery at all. And if you look at our original artwork, if you can find it anywhere on the web, there is a little piggy and a pint on the top of the the um the sort of decal as such um, yeah. and we were going to do we we're going to do like a smoked meat american style barbecue smoked meat restaurant with you know with a brewery attached that was that was the original concept um and we just never got it through um council as a TAs. So we never got to do the the the, the american style smoked meat restaurant which is a I'm getting hungry talking about it actually, but um, it, you know, it, it kind of that accident kind of shaped the way Young Henry's turned out. Um, I don't think it would have been the mini behemoth that it is now without you know if we got that initial success in the in the DA. I was about to suggest mini behemoth is a great name for a brewery, and then I just thought about the legal things that will float flow from that. Let's have a little break at that point and press pause on the record and come back and talk about the hazy in a few minutes' time. Well, we're back here in the call room for episode 161 with Richard Adamson from Young Henry's Brewery. We're so excited to have him here to get the story of Young Henry's from the start. A really important part in terms of how Young Henry's has ended up where they are now is local government. But I've been advised, I've had advice during our little break here in the call room, that I have a material conflict of interest in regards to local government matters. And so I have to uh, vacate the chamber and let Mr Wu ask the local government questions. Um, IBAC has an increasing interest in my lifestyle, Mr. Wu. Are you able to take over from here for the moment? Should be fine, yeah. Yeah, I have I have no government responsibilities whatsoever. Although if if um, the Victorian SES, uh, SEC is willing to hire me, I'm, I'm happy to have a job. I can't wait till we have our own <laughs> energy commission. But anyway... Apart from the, the, the city of Melbourne is setting up its own one called Power Melbourne, but anyway, I think I've already said too much. So, Ooh, that's exciting! Yeah, didn't you know that? No. Oh, yeah, we've got our own power company coming back. Oh, there you go. Cool room scoop. And, yeah, yeah, and that's cool. why I'm not allowed to talk local government. Yeah, right. So, but more importantly, uh, Young Henry and local government. Yeah. What's the story, Richard? What's the story? I have I don't know the story. Oh well, look, you know, we've we've I've, I've 
had, I've had many battles with council. So when we, when we first started, we were aiming to be in Surrey Hills and the locals there chased us out of the suburb with pitchforks because um, we were going to, you know, bring rack and ruin to Surrey Hills. Um, you know, the brewery was going to cause all manner of problems. Um, and the, the landlord was, was particularly gun ho and took it to land environment court and, and lost, as it turns out. So we, we went to, we ended up in Newtown. Newtown made a lot more sense to both Oscar and I anyway. Oscar went to Newtown High. I grew up seeing punk bands there from probably the age of 15, 15, seeing Linda see you know, hard-ons and mass appeal and that kind of stuff. Um, so it just, it felt a lot better to us, but um, we didn't, as I said, we didn't get the um, the restaurant idea through council, unfortunately. Um, I, I look, you know, with hindsight now, I can say that I think no one really thought what they were dealing with when you talked about a craft brewery and what a tasting bar was going to be mm. and all that stuff. I think, as I said, we've come a long way now. I think both from in an education perspective, councils really are like seeing it in a much better light. Um, I think it's sort of raised the bar in terms of what a you know a service area can be too. And you look at the tasting bars, the new fit outs of tasting bars now, and it's just insane. Like it's, it's come so far. Um, and you know we're not we're not plagued with the behaviour issues that everyone thought there was going to be. For some reason, they thought because you make beer that it was you know, endless beer being consumed in all the places. But, of course, you have to still do your RSA as everyone else does. Mm. You don't have the issue with poker machines and, you know, there's not the there's not the wall-to-wall gambling that goes on all the time either. Um, and generally, people are there to enjoy the product and catch up with mates and have a chat. So I think from a cultural perspective, it's, it's really added to the area. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, then the other... The other breweries who are in the area have created a real kind of sense of community and culture on top of uh, the the what already existed there, the university kind of town atmosphere. Like, yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's brought about a lot of jobs. And let, let's face it, it's 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 one of the few manufacturing sectors that grows. Mm. It's in both. Um, so you know, without without breweries, you know, where where is this Australian manufacturing really? It's, there's, there's not a whole lot going on, unfortunately. Hopefully the whole, uh, you know, Industry 4.0 will change that. I think there's certainly space for it. But, um, yeah, it's it, it it's brought both, you know, employment, culture and a good use of those industrial spaces. Um, what's a piece of advice you'd give someone who wanted to open up their own brewery? Like, it, obviously it will be a... A, a slightly easier path because of the people who've come before them. But is there something kind of more generally that that you've got that would help? Look, I, I think it's um, important to really understand why you are doing it um, and what you plan to achieve. Um, so that's really important. And write it down, even if it's just yourself. So you you know you, you do those goals. But if there's more than one person involved, make sure when you write it down that you all agree that that's what you know that's what your aims are and that's what you're trying to achieve um i think now you've got to have a good reason to exist outside of you think your homebrew is pretty bloody good mm-hmm. um, yeah. because there's a lot of people making great beer out there now and the you know the the, the bar is you, know, you think back to some of the people that 
started in the nineties, some of the a lot of the beer was just really faulty and terrible. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. you know, through the through the ten years that we've been on the journey, the the level of professionalism and quality control that's come in, beers are tasting great. So you're gonna have to really smash it out of the park to beat anyone on the on just a beer level. Um, so you know, I think a, a you know good regional area choose a, you know maybe that's underserviced that's got a decent population that would that you know you can be the the local brewer there is one or have a niche that's outside of that like you know something like wildflower or mm. you know, a perspective or, or you specialize in something I think you've got to have a really good compelling reason a good story to tell to start a brewery these days. Um, a good example of the Kind of that really high quality beer that that is in the market is your hazy, um, which we're drinking now, which is terrific. How how does it relate to the Newtowner? Is there a kind of a DNA which connects the two, or well, is it a completely different beast? No, well, it's a completely different beast. So you know, most of our beers have the genesis of, of the of the yeast. So we have a house culture yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lager and an ale, and unlike a lot of breweries, we have continuous propagation. So the yeast um, lives in the brewery. We've, we've, we take it from slants, we grow it up. Um, the propagators generally run for somewhere in the order of six to 12 months um, without being restarted. It's only if we see changes in behavior or if there's something, you know, something that's not meant to be in there is detected that we start them again. The hazy is um is you know an east coast um ale yeast that really you know is that that hazy expression that we're after um and the hops are quite distinct and the whole process has been different it came about because we did a collaboration with rolling stone called the unifier which was our you know first foray into the hazy pale and um that was one of our most popular limited releases we've done uh, and everyone asked for us to do it again. Um, now it's not the same, exactly the same beer as the Unifier. We have modified a few things. Um, we took the we took the lactose out. Um, I think you know that the one is Oscar's lactose intolerant, so that was you know that wasn't that wasn't a good a good thing for him. Um, the other thing I just found with lactose too, if it, it, as the beer kind of ages and goes far, you start getting that almost condensed milk flavour, which I'm not a massive fan of. Mm. Um, we worked really hard on the stability. Like it's, you think it's easy making a, a hazy beer. It's really not easy making a hazy beer. We've spent a couple of hundred years working out how to make beer bright and stable. And then we've just chucked out the rule book and said, no, let's make hazy beers. And you think, boy, okay, let's just not do all the things we do to make bright beer, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, you end up with um, that sort of colloidal haze, but on steroids because you've you've added a whole bunch of you know haze, you know, protein-producing haze from adjuncts like rolled oats and mm. you know, wheat and stuff, and then you've got a lot more hop character, hops going in, a lot of more polyphenol from the hops, and that those two combine, and then you know that's that's the genesis of the whole snow globe effect that you, you've seen with some beers. So working on getting a, a stable haze has been a, a real interesting exercise. And talking about like, what day do you dry hop in terms of fermentation? Zero dry hop turns out actually um, makes beer go bright. 
um, which was not what we thought would happen at all. So day two of ferment does not. So that's, you know, and we're after that buyer transformation. I think probably mm. the 130 brewers talking about that. And that's when hops take on some of the um, flavor um, uh, molecules of um, hops and transform them essentially. So change, change the composition, um, which is really important part of the hazy. Is it, is it fun for you as an experienced brewer and experienced brewery owner to learn those things and play with those things? Or is it a hassle? Like, is it just something you go, gee, I wish I knew how it worked and I didn't have to go through that process? It's pretty, it's stressful at the time, but I've got, I do have a really nerdy, um, you know, academic interest in all this sort of stuff as it stands. So, like, you know, it's not enough for me. For, like, if the, if the guys, and I, I, I'm going to say it wasn't me toiling away on this, it was the brew team um, led by, by Selzy. Um, it, just getting the answer that we fixed it was never going to work. I had to find out why we fixed it. So what was, what the hell was going on? And, um, you know, looking at different yeasts and looking at the, you know, the glucosidase, which is the um, the part that does the biotransformation also breaks down some of the, you know, is that the, the creative hop creep? So controlling the hop group is a big thing with these, these hazy beers. Um, it's, it's really, you know, pushing the boundaries of brewing is is a lot of fun to find out what the hell's going on. And there is no instruction manual still for these as well as a bit that I find. We're, sort of... we're getting better at it. Um, but there's still, when I talk to suppliers about what, you know, what's going on, they're still like, oh, we're not really sure. We're getting a bit of feedback that this is happening, but we're not really sure what's going on. Um, yep. You know, like looking at those, these new years, the, you know, the Dant versus East Coast, there's some different behaviour in different parts of the world. So there's something going on with Australian malt and East Coast ale use that's not happening in America, for example. Um, oh, yeah, that's that sounds like the 749 scoop. Can you explain a little I don't bit know. more about they, the mystery? I don't know why. They don't know why, but they, they, they think that's there's something going on there, so something to do with the, um, the, what's happening with Australian malt. Is is maybe causing East Coast to be a little bit brighter than Vedant, and it's probably down to the glucosidase, the the um, enzyme that expresses the yeast expresses. Yeah, ah, that's genuinely fascinating because you know we we literally have these conversations every week here in the in the call room, and I've never heard that little bit of it before. Although I feel like we've sort of touched on that conversation without anyone expressing it quite like that before people talking about having to brew under pressure or you know doing other bits and pieces to sort of create the flavors they want yeah um, yeah look there's 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 a lot happening on the fermentation side um with biotransformation that's you know we're only really just understanding now um we've known about hop creep since the late 1800s but we've never had that much dry hop going on until the last five or so years where it's having a pretty significant impact on how dry the beer can get when the, you know, the, the amylase present in the hops are breaking down longer chain sugars. Um, that's, that's insane. It's just like, you know, the things we're learning about it now are amazing. And I think like you, everyone in the cool room, certainly Warren and I, but I think if it, we have this nerdy love of, learning about these things it's funny we were talking during the break about you know how 
you don't want to overanalyze your beer. It's like a good movie or a good book or something. You know, you want to just experience it for what it is. But also, I love to learn these new things and and mm-hmm. to understand the effort that goes into creating the product that we get to love just because we open the can and go, gee, that's a really good beer to be drinking. Mm. And then the question is, ah, oh, why? What's what's in there? I, I love to pull bits of it apart in that sense. Yeah, really, really big decisions on hop choice as well. And, um, you know, I, I think Australia suffered during um, the COVID lockdowns for many reasons, but um, beer drinkers suffered um, because we couldn't go out and select American hops either. So we didn't we didn't get the best hops um, on those years because there weren't Australian brewers representing and and selecting over there. Um, and selection is super important in America. Uh, it's probably more variation within varietal um, from different farms than there is between varietals of the same farm. Um, Again, so- you know. I keep on sort of saying we have really knowledgeable craft beer listeners, particularly the ones who join us in the Zoom room, but people who are very new to craft beer join us, you know, on the podcast version. We often talk, but it's probably now, I was just thinking, it's probably been since we last had King River on and we were talking a bit about sort of wet hop beers and so forth, which, you know, obviously was sort of more autumn of this year, Australian time since we've spoken about going out and select selecting hops, is that something you get to do? Not many Australian breweries I, really I, get to do that at scale. I've done it a couple of times. So I went, I, I went with um, Alan Johnson of Hop Products Australia, probably 2018, I think. And he and I selected all of the hops that HB or American hops that HBA would be bringing into the country. So um, it was a, Big responsibility it was a little bit daunting um and it was then when i just i realized how much variation there was within varietal so i remember rubbing some centennial hops that i thought were incredible but it just wasn't what i knew australian brewers would hope out of their centennial hop it was you know it was probably closer than mosaic um and if i was selecting for myself i might have taken it but um we, we didn't at the time um so yeah, and Jesse just went over this year um, this year to select, particularly for the hazy, um, and he was pretty nervous going across. But he, he, I think, just that experience of being there in the hop farms and just seeing how big Yakima is and how much how much effort goes into growing the hops, meeting the characters out there because Americans being Americans, they're you know they're rugged individualists, so you can't tell an American hop grower how to grow their hops; they will do their own thing. Um, whereas, you know, Australian, Australian hops, the HBA farms are all run by the same company. They're getting the same water, water cycles. They're getting the same nutrition. They're getting the same people selecting the picking times. So although there's variance within paddocks and between say Ross Trevor and Bushy Park, that variance is pretty low compared to these individual hop farmers in Yakima that Maybe the binds a different age. They've they've done different watering cycles. They've done different nutrition. They've picked it at a different time. Um, completely different. Mm. Oh, I think Mr. Warren was muted. Uh, you- Sorry, I did. I muted myself. Excuse me. Um, I actually, while we're nerding out, and Crofty's got a great question that will further help us with this later. Um. 
what was the decision to go to grow your own yeast and culture up your own yeast and have a house strain? That's that's a real as far as far as this podcast goes, it's a pretty rare thing for for breweries to do. What made you go down that path? Was it that that kind of idea of identity, or was it more just a, a, a really a curiosity that that meant that you you got to do that? Well, we are one of our our first QC um, QA QC manager was um, was on brews, so Dan McCulloch, and it, I'm not sure if you. Familiar for me with him, he works for the Holomon now. But um, if there's anyone that's going to really nerd out on a QC QA process, it's him. Um, so we were we were doing what a lot of breweries do and, and going cone to cone. As we got more and more dry hop dry hop product in, that became more and more difficult because you don't want to be dragging, you know, the hops that fall out from cone to cone either. Um, so we decided that we would do continuous propagation and set up tanks that were dedicated for those um we we set up the oxygen rig and how we're going to do it we can we could already do cell counts and use viability within our lab so that's just what we do now is every time we go to go to pitch yeast we do a cell count viability of the prop we work out how much yeast is going to go in we set up the you know it comes out of that that yeast and we we feed it um the equivalent amount of work back in there and it just keeps on going um and also having a really good micro program is we can keep on top of the health of that propagator as well so we know we know what we're pitching is is healthy yeast that's uncontaminated um and it, look it's the other thing is it just you know it saves a lot of money too from doing fresh pitch all the time it's and how much does the yeast actually play in a role in terms of what you're trying to do like it there, there'd be a consistency aspect because you you'd know what to expect when you when you did kind of throw some yeast in but in terms of the pro- end product is there is there a significant difference that you guys can you guys feel like it's as important part of who you are definitely with the lager yeast there's no there's no doubt about that that's got a particular flavor profile which you taste in the natural lager and also the stayer the stayer is a, a hoppy mid-strength lager and it's that it's that yeast. without that yeast those two beers would be very different the ale yeast we use we were using a com- crazy i don't know why i did this to start with but we did um it was a californian um ale with with the Whitbread Ale. So it was two ale strains together. Um, and as we got as we got into propagation, that became more and more problematic in that the, the Whitbread would take over a lot of the times and the beers would finish a fair bit higher in gravity. Um, the other thing is I actually think that Whitbread yeast is mutated a fair bit and it's quite a bit different to what it used to be. So it's now the Californian one. It's quite different, I think, to USO5. I think if you taste a beer side by side, they're quite different. I actually think, what's that great website, Brewnosophy? I think he's done that. I think he's done a side by side of um, Californian and USO5. And although they may, may have the same genesis, they're not the same yeast anymore. Mm. Um, I just uh, I just don't like the idea of doing the same thing as everyone else is doing too, right? So um, yeah, 
you know, and I like it. And I, I sort of harks back to those British beers too, where you go to a, a, a brewery in, in England and the yeast is pretty important to what the house character of the beer is. Um, I love that. That's the most punk thing that you've said, I think, on the podcast that uh, um, you don't want to do what everyone else is doing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm just going to throw in a quick James Murphy question because we love James Murphy questions. I don't really understand what he's talking about, but we'll ask it anyway. Any plans for off-register yeasts? What the hell are off-registered yeasts? Do you understand that? I don't. I don't no, I don't either. All right, maybe, maybe he's from New Zealand. We can add that one in later on as a as an audience question. I think we yeah, might, yeah, and he can add we might that, put yeah. in James's audience question number three and Muggs's audience question number four out of those uh, things, if that's all right. But Warren, we've got a couple more questions we want to ask before we hand over to the Zoom room. Um, yes, we do. Yes, um, one of them was oh, that was like a little bit of a. I suppose I wanted to touch a little bit on a branding question. Um, can you give us a story about your name? Absolutely. Uh, so that was um, that was Oscar's idea. We were when we were sort of formulating plans to start this brewery. We, we would meet in, you know, meet up for coffee or meet up for lunch quite often. Um, and um, I I had my son who was two at the time of most of the planning sort of rocking up in a in a pram and um the question would be is young henry's coming to them is young henry coming to the meeting because they would find a place for the pram to be parked essentially and then when we're looking at names we just oscar wrote that down and we thought we'd come up with a better name somewhere along the, the lines and we never did um and then when we said to people people like liked us liked it and we're like okay can you say it over the bar after four pints uh, order a beer you can do that too so that's a pretty important thing to be able to do no um, one's ever said that before in one of our interviews but i totally get what you're saying yeah it is uh, genuinely important it's it, it's super important and, and look it was also that we were looking at pretty you know very traditional thing henry's a very traditional name and maybe doing a young spin on it too so you know that's kind of the that's kind of the maybe the retcon rationale for it but um you know it works um I'm just going to wheel back around to the collaboration questions that we were kind of touching on before. Um, the the first one's a fairly standard one for us. Uh, have, there, have you got any, um, are there, oh, I forgot about the distillery question. Sorry, David. I'm, That's okay. That's why I sent you the note behind the note, the we'll, which I didn't quite catch. And now all of a sudden, we, I have. We, we'll pull back the curtain, not just on how breweries operate, but how on how podcasts operate. Yeah. To indicate that we send the questions around to the guests before time, and I send them to Mr. Wu before time. And then at about this time, about 8.03 on a Thursday night, I send Mr. Wu a message saying, you know, would you like to ask questions? Yeah, should we ask the questions goes, we yes, said on the surprised questions? surprised by what yeah. question three is. Um, so distill, yeah, distilling is one of the interesting parts of the business, which is, yeah, I think we, we, should, we should definitely touch on. Um, so what, I mean, what made you decide to, to take that route? Was it a kind of a natural progression of, of the brewing or was it something else that, that got you there? I think the first reason is if you've ever 
been on a, like judging beers for a beer competition and you've had maybe 50 to 70 different beers in a day, um, a gin and tonic at the end of the day goes down extremely well. Uh, so mm. that's, that's probably the first reason. And the second was, to be honest, we never knew how big the brewery was and we thought, you know, the, the beer business we're going to get, we thought having a second string drive might be a handy thing. Um, as it turns out, I, got, I kind of got that pretty wrong and the beer stuff grew pretty well. Um, so, you know, for, uh, for many years there, the, the gym was really a, a side, you know, a side hustle. Um, but, you know, we've now got a fantastic distillery in, in Carla and um, the gym's won gold medals around the world now. So it's doing pretty well on its own, um, despite our best efforts to try to just keep it as a, keep it to ourselves. Um, and now we've got a, a, a gym's like in a can too, which is going really well. So that's in our tasting pack. I think it's the first time we've ever had a gin in one of our tasting packs. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, yeah. Um, and we, we made the, we, we got to come up with our own tonic too, which was a lot of fun there as well. Um, probably the most R&D thing we've ever done. Um, but yeah. Oh, go on, give us, give us your couple of minutes on how that works because. Well, yeah. So it was first, first question was what's the best tonic for our gin. And that, that, you know, that took us down the route of trying about 40 different tonics out there in the marketplace and trying to get consensus around that. So we, we landed in a, a, a couple of places there um and then it was like well what are we you know we're gonna do our own we can't do it exactly the same what, what's going to be our spin on it and the the classic serve that we've done for our gin and tonic has always been ruby grapefruit and thyme um so we wanted to bring those two flavors into the tonic as well so that's they're the two predominant tonic botanicals outside of the gin botanicals so that's what I mean, just for those of us that are going to open that, that can and go, oh, gee, young Henrys have a lot of time in their gin. It's actually not that as in terms of what we're experiencing there, if that's the, it's the, the first take we have on your on your gin. Yeah, so, that, so there are, like, you know, the, a tonic is, you know, has botanicals in it itself. So it's usually lemon and orange um, peel. Um, you've got the... Um, uh, the bitter agent, which is the um, the one that keeps you from getting malaria, which is the reason why um, it was drunk in the colonies. Um, and, and I fear malaria could break out of Weehigh at any moment and just you know yeah, so take it, over the rest of it, Melbourne. It, it, so for that up. reason, you know, yeah, keep the quinine up. It's important. Oh, sorry, sorry, James. Um, so those, yeah, those. Whereas the predominant botanicals in the gin itself, obviously juniper is you have to have juniper in a gin. We use um, lemon myrtle, pepperberry, harking back to my you know love of Australian ingredients, mm. uh, along with hops. So we use Enigma hops. We put it in the basket of the of the um, of the still. The vapor goes through those. Um, it gives a Is that quite of, unusual to use hops in? There's not too many people doing it. I think ah. if you if you macerate it in the alcohol, you might start drawing out some of the bittering components, but just letting the steam pass through it gets sort of more of the flavour components out of it. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so I'm going back to where I diverted from before. Uh, with collaborate, uh, I'm just going to go back to collaborations because I'm really we we didn't touch on that, and there's so many bits and pieces of Young Henry that we we haven't had a chance 
to to really get into. But okay, can would you like to give us a little bit of rundown on what your favorite collaborations have been? What are ones that stood out in your head and and really thought, yeah, that is that's sick. That is yeah. Look, that it's it's very tempting to say the Foo Fighters because that was pretty bloody big. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, but look, some of my my favorite ones have been somewhat. So the, the most odd one was we did it with the at the um, Art Gallery of New South Wales for a, a touring art show, um, which was a, a Scottish um, landscape art um, painters, um, and we did a beautiful um, Scottish wee heavy for that. That was great. But probably you know I have to say you and I probably was the favourite the brew of my beer, which is one of my favourite ones to kick off with, um, just because the bands. I've been a fan of the band for such a yeah. long time. Um, I'm yeah. really good mates with Andy now, the um, who's the bass player and manager of, of the group. We've all become friends. So um, it's um, and then them doing um, the beer coincided with their anniversary of Hi-Fi Way and um, Ali Daly, and they did those two records back to back. And just having been able to drink the beer we made for that at the show was a really special moment for me. I think, yeah, mm. that's it. That that sounds like that sounds really personal. Like you know what I mean? It's yeah. like that's that's like moments. I don't know. Yeah, the yeah the big name, you know, Foo Fighters is, is is a headline massive thing. But yeah, it's those little things. I like the fact that Tim Rogers is often fucked out of his mind every time he he <laughs> I see him. So it's, it kind of makes sense to. Is uh, is leveling is leveling out and flying right a lot more these days. Um, yeah. Playing with the hardons at the moment, and I will tell you what, he's looking is is the fittest I've ever seen him because those guys, those guys are getting to their sixties and still play with their shirts off. Man, I wish I had a six pack that looked like that. He's he's <laughs> he's super fit. Mm. Um, should we do the audience question? Do you want to do the audience questions, David? I'll do the audience questions, but what I'm going to ask, which you have astutely uh, ignored in the run sheet, well played, Mr. Warren Wu, is from one of our uh, long-time podcast listeners. He often doesn't get here on the night, and that's Hades. And he has a a question particularly about uh, collaborations in the distillery sense, uh, which there's been a few of as well. And I just wanted to know, is there anyone you're sort of looking forward to? Is there, Can we have a little bit of a scoop on any distillery uh, collaborations you might be hoping for in the future? Uh, or even just I, styles. I still went up the up the sleeve. That one with Jamison was fantastic, and actually to have Young Henry's name on a bottle with Jamison at the end of that was pretty pretty special as well. Um, and then having um, Jorah, like the guy who's been there, um, Cooper, um, been there for I don't know how many years. He's probably been there since he's fourteen or something. To see these, the way he handled barrels was incredible. There's there's a beautiful collaboration coming up. Um, next year that I, I think you should all look forward to. And that is um, we, we, we had a, a natural lager that um, Dan McCulloch um, inoculated with some wild yeast from mm. his kumquat tree in his backyard 10 years ago. It spent 10 years, 10 years in the barrel. Um, we, What's the scoop? We didn't really feel like we had the expertise to deal with it, so we sent it down to uh, Topher of Wildflower who... Um, who was a custodian of it for the last last couple of years of its life? He's blended it with some of his um, beautiful. Um, what's his What's his standard one? Is it the hammer? I don't know what he calls it now. Oh, gold is gold. 
mm. when it was when it was gold. Um, and it's amazing. It is amazing. That sounds genuinely amazing. Do you know how much of that kumquatiness, or is that just sort of the? It's it's fruity and oaky as hell. Like when we were trying it out of the barrel before he got it, um, it almost got chucked out a few times because people were just going, "That is just so intense." It's like it tastes like picking a plank of wood. Um, <laughs> but the way it's been handled now, it's just the oak characters sitting in there beautifully. There's a real fruit character there that's come must have come from that yeast. Um, and it's amazing in that it just, I can't say that we took particularly good care of it. Obviously, we did a good enough job that nothing bad happened to it. Um, it didn't go acidic or anything like that. Mm. There's no there's no acidic character at all. For, and for a beer that's been in the barrel for 10 years, that's pretty, it's pretty amazing. That must be one of the longest times a beer is spent in a barrel yeah. in Australia, I would have thought. Yeah. I, I yeah, and by accident too, right? So because we just forgot about it. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll leave that bit out because because of the intent that you always had to create this. Uh, there's also a beautiful, um, in terms of if you're interested in spirits, there's an amazing apple brandy that was a cider that got oxidised that I refused to throw out. So we went through the still, put it into a, a, a um, sherry barrel, and it sat there, it sat there for probably about. Seven years now. Whoa! So you've made made like Australian Calvados? It's nothing like Calvados. It's like all of apple brandy. It's like it's taken on so much of that colour from the barrel. It's like it's a beautiful sort of rich, almost tan colour. That Um, sounds amazing. It'll be forty-five, probably forty-five when we cut it back. um, Forty-five percent. It's it's lovely. It's amazing. It's a, a sipper on its own. Oof. There's there's some things we need to look forward to, uh, podcast listeners and uh, people in the Zoom room with us tonight. That sounds amazing, and we'll keep our eyeballs peeled throughout 2023 for for those. Um, and it must be fantastic to get to have such world renowned core range beers, and then to get to play. You know, when I say play games, get to go and ex- you know experiment with things like that. And mm. yeah, well, Jesse did a great job with the ten year strong beer, which was our tenth anniversary beer. Which he, he had a bit of time during lockdown to put some amazing red ale into some barrels. It was it was fifteen percent in the barrels before he he cut it back with a younger beer for it to go in the cans. I just wanted to drink it at fifteen percent. It was like a um, it was kind of like a a whiskey liqueur on its own. Um, I don't think that ten year beer is available. I've certainly drunk all the all the ten year beer that I got, so <laughs> um, I'm not sure if there's any 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 left of that. Um, but I do know he has put some other stuff in a barrel too. So there's some there's some um, there's some imperial stout in the works. That sounds amazing. Look, we're going to move on to audience questions. You've been so generous with your time. And I I love the fact that everyone here is playing outside their normal field. We're playing total football uh, in the World Cup sense. And um, that's why Crofty is going to be the one to ask the design question about how the labels and things work. Um, They look amazing. But Crofty, great to have you back. You've been off studying for the last couple of weeks. And um, ask your question, brother. Um, yeah, I, I, I've always um, really loved the design aspect and how the, the labelling all works together. Um, 
everything's different. Um, not just same label, different color, but it's all a bit different, but it all looks very, very similar. And I was just wondering what the, um, I guess the inspiration or the background around that kind of design was. It, yeah, look, that, that's, thanks for the, the, the comments too. Yeah, look, the, the lockup, I think, what we call the lockup, which is that old sort of style decal, it certainly got, yeah, harks back to that heritage and, you know, it's probably, you know, that sort of English pub sort of style vibe that we're into. But then, you know, each each beer in, the, in its range needs to have its own expression and its own personality. So those little design aspects have all come from different places. You know, Hazy's telling us, you know, with the, the bit of a psychedelic vibe there is like everything's a bit hazy. Um, you know, but I think the, the Newtown is the amp head um, you know, it's all it's always have that association with you know rock and roll. Um, the stayer, I really don't know why it's got a cockatoo on the stayer. Um, I you know, I, I wondered if it was if it's about you know the mid strength, you know, keeps your cocky upright. I don't know, uh, <laughs> but, um, but Oscar drew it and we we loved it, so it stayed. Uh, so you know, I think it was, I think we had the color first actually. We went, we kind of wanted that old sort of cream look um we we did it we happened to do it before captain sensible but it's almost like back to the color now for mid-strength beer mm. <laughs> which is quite amusing but maybe it was that color that kind of inspired me with a soft acoustic cocker too you know so yeah that's fantastic um next up we have uh james murphy james your question which warren couldn't understand before and i couldn't offer insight on off register yeah, thanks, Richard, and everyone. Um, it's been fun. Um, what I wanted to ask about was you talked a lot about pitchable yeast earlier, and um, it kind of reminded me of you know we often talk about yeast in the podcast, and and I tried to experiment with some words like wild, radical, all sorts of things which didn't really like jibe, you know, oh. and, and they have all sorts of invested meanings and i was like just off kilter is what i was looking for and do you do you experiment with things that you wouldn't normally use is really what i was going for mm. i i think it's i think it's like courses for courses you got to choose the use that you think is the right thing for to for what you're making as i said we've got that we did have that wild one that was inoculated from the compact tree that lasted 10 years so it, it, it was obviously the right use for the time not that we knew that um I'm, i must confess i'm really not a fan of the quebec uses at all i think you know I, I just don't like the flavor of them um it doesn't taste like saccharomyces cerveza to me and i like i like that flavor of that yeast and i like what it does for beer i don't like what quebec does for for beer i've i've had some that i've liked but generally i get towards the end of glass and i move on to something else because it just doesn't sit with me um and maybe that's because i've just i've just drunk a lot of beer uh, maybe that's what the, maybe that's the reason but um yeah i look there's there's some fascinating stuff out there with yeast and you know i've been talking to people about you know if you really want to get deep in the yeast conversation why why can't we use gmo yeast here in australia we can't do that there's some really interesting stuff happening with gmo yeast you can you know ferment um things to make milk from GMO yeast, you can 
there's a, ye a GMO yeast that produces CBD. Um, that sort of stuff I think is absolutely fascinating. That is fascinating. I'm going to follow it up with a question from Muggs, which is again about sort of yeast and how it expresses itself in different ways and might allow you to expand a bit on exactly what you were just talking about there. It's probably not about GMO, but it's definitely about um, having a yeast strain that proprietary sort of yeast strain that you culture over a long time. Um, my, my question is more to do with how it reacts to stress and different temperature changes. Do you find it expresses itself differently in beers if you ramp the temperature up, all that sort of stuff? And And do you actually try to push it to see if it does create different sort of characteristics? Absolutely. That, and particularly that um, quite havoc yeast will do that, um, will really perform differently on, under different temperatures. So, and also under pressure as well. So um, on the certain lower, temper lower temperature, it's much more like a lager yeast, although it does express a bit more of that iso elastate, a bit more of that banana breadiness. Um, when you get it into high temperatures, it's like a classic Kolsch yeast. Um, so that, that really interesting ester profile that, it, that, it, that comes out. So it's really, yeah, it's really around that um, ester profile expression, I think, is where you get some really interesting stuff happening. Hmm. I think Mr. Warren Roo is going to bring the show home um, here. Sorry, David. Yes. Um, well, Firstly, of course, the main thing is thank you very much, Richard. Um, you've been super generous with your time. Um, it's also been incredibly fascinating. So it's been yeah, really dense in terms of all the interesting information you've provided. So, yeah, thank you very much, Richard. Um, if you want to find Young Henry's, uh, they're online, younghenrys.com, uh, and also on Twitter, Facebook, it's just Young Henry's, um, yeah. which is awesome. Uh, so... Yeah, look up Young Henry's and check out the brewery. And, and yeah, thank you very much, Richard. It's been amazing. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome, mate. Thank you.